and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. It is me, Zach Faulkner-Barfield, co-founder of The Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me is... James Marwood. Good to speak to you again, Zach. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, sir. Very well indeed. A little little suffering with the hay fever in the UK, but... Yes, I'm a, I'm a little bit the same. So if I sneeze during the recording, I'll try and hit the mute button. But just in case I miss it, I'll apologise in advance. If you hear sniffing from the pair of us, it is not that we are weeping at the loss of manners in the world from our last <laughs> podcast. But we're suffering a little bit of the hay fever. Indeed. The special podcast seems to have gone down particularly well we're happy with that uh, last week's was great i've had some really nice feedback from people so thank you if people do have any comments or suggestions or things they want to suggest for for upcoming episodes please send them along we do read them all even if we don't get to answer them all and everything gets considered for inclusion contact us via email or inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or you can contact us on social media that's um at the P Gentlemen on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And allegedly, we might be doing Snapchat as well. Ah, excellent. Good stuff. Talking to our social media gurus. One of the coaches I work with for the martial arts that teaches media and social media at a college, and he's been raving about Snapchat for a while. It's probably something we should look at. It is probably something we should look at. It's just another social media channel that I have uh, enough time dealing with the ones that we already have. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. So this week, it's episode 15. Oh my God, I can't believe we've 15 episodes in. We're having a new contributor this week. Actually, we're going to speak to her. Splendid. We're going to have uh, Lorella McDonald come and talk to us about the language of flowers. Excellent. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it should be fun. So she'll be joining us on the call uh, shortly. It's Gourmet Gentleman Week uh, here at The Perfect Gentleman, and so we're going to talk about uh, both of our beloved passion of cigars. Looking forward to it. And then lastly, uh, we have our report from Paul Ernst, who's our man Mm -hmm. in Switzerland. It's always good to hear from him. It's a short episode this week, but packed with interesting information, I think. Good stuff. I suppose we should drag Lorella into the conversation. Let's talk a little romance in the language of flowers. Lovely. Welcome, Lorella, to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. Hello there, Zach. It's lovely to have you on the Perfect Gentleman podcast with us. Thank you so much for being part of this. We're talking romantic gentlemen this month. Mm -hmm. You've discovered some stuff about the language of flowers. That's right, yeah. This was um, a very interesting piece for me to do, very challenging, because to be honest, I didn't really know anything about the language of flowers. I knew that it was very popular during the Victorian era in particular, because, you know, everything was quite floral in that era, wasn't it? So I thought, okay, I'll take this on as a challenge, but I'll do some research and, you know, find out more about it and found out a bit about the history and then I went on to the art, which is my sort of area because I I do history of art. Then I got together a, a very short summary of a few flowers so that the gentleman could have an idea of how to present a bouquet to their beloved, um, if you like, a lexicon in flowers to their beloved. And it's fantastic. We should give more flowers. Guys should not just go pick them up from a service station. Trust me, a woman knows exactly if it's been done at the last minute or if it's been, <laughs> or if it's been really thought about. Trust me, I know. You <laughs> and, mean you can, um, you can spot the, the flowers we buy from the petrol station on the, oh, on the way yeah, over? They have a distinct odour. So um, I know exactly when Guy has given me flowers from a petrol station or when he's actually thought about it. And I know that time is pressed for everybody. Guys, women, girls, everything. Everyone is pressed for time nowadays. But I think uh, one of the main themes as well, I hope that came out in my article, 
is that if you think about it, that's really what the most important aspect of it. I mean, the presentation of the flowers themselves obviously are aesthetically very appealing and they're very sensuous because all of the senses are involved and also all of the thoughts behind it. I would know that he's taken time out of his busy schedule to actually think about it and present me with something special, with something which he has thought about. And he's really tried to understand me as well or understand his beloved, whatever. That's the, the if you like, the gem of it. The idea that he's taking time out. And it, it doesn't have to be a rushed job either. Take your time, guys. And as we all say, the perfect gentleman, a little preparation goes a very long way. Oh, yes, agree completely. If you have um, a canvas, you're painting a canvas, how long do you have to prepare sometimes for that painting? But of course, you know, spontaneity is something which I appreciate as well. So, you know, it's kind of like a balance, really. What was your favourite discovery of the language of flowers? What for you was kind of the flower you thought, oh, I didn't know that, the one that you kind of went, oh, okay, that's really lovely? Well, it wasn't a flower, it's a person, because I didn't know that Lady Montague, who I mentioned in my article, Mm -hmm. was actually the initiator of the language of flowers. Ah. This is fantastic. This is a lady, a woman, in those times, she was married to the, um, if I remember correctly, the ambassador to Turkey, mm-hmm. and that's where all the, if you like, language of flowers um, originated in the Ottoman Empire and Constantinople in particular. Apparently they were crazy about tulips. She not only sort of brought this fashion of language of flowers to the Victorian England, but um, she also wrote letters and essays. So yeah, it was more about the person, really. It was really interesting for me. I didn't know anything about it coming from Turkey, from the Ottoman Empire. That actually makes sense. It seems to fit with that Turkish Ottoman aesthetic. They were very um, sensuous, weren't they? They thought about the senses and incense and all these sort of things. And I think it's always been a centre for, for art and design and that kind of thing. And then I guess when it came to, to London and, and to court, it fits with that nuanced and layered communication that yes. you imagine for that time. Exactly. But also remember that in the Victorian era... You couldn't say certain things, you know, because they were considered inappropriate, especially as a woman. Guys must have felt a bit stressed as well. So what better way to do it than to do it through the language of flowers? In a way, that kind of makes it a little bit more sort of exciting. Nowadays, for example, everything seems to be in your face. It kind of takes away that mystique. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on one side you think, oh, you know, it's repressed. But on the other side, it brought up things like the language of flowers that enabled you to be more, as you were saying, you know, more nuanced, more subtle, and perhaps even just a little bit more sensuous as well, because, you know, that undercurrent is always there. It's kind of like the play of love as well. And also, I, I remember being told that things have changed over time. You know, certain colours were meant certain things at certain points in time, and that's changed over time. A female friend of mine told me when I was young man, teenager, she said, if you're going to give roses, give only three, because it means I love you. Really? Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, so don't give big bunches of them, just give three, because it's all... It, That's right. And it kind of makes sense, actually, because the rose is very, very overwhelming smell. as mm-hmm. an aroma which just fills up the room. So the less is better. Something that I found when I was writing the article is that it, it imbues all of your senses. I mean, nowadays we tend to be very overwhelmed with our visual sense our um, sense of smell and sense of taste and sense of touch seem to be secondary. But all of this language of flowers and things like that, if you go into the florist 
a guy, you know, says, oh, you know, what can I give my girlfriend that's something special? He'll not only have to use his eyes, he'll use, have to use his sense of smell, his sense of touch. Everything will be there involved. And so that makes it even more intimate, doesn't it? So if, if James or I were to send you a bouquet of flowers, what would you appreciate? I think it'd have to be something that has a variety of aromas, mm. but also a variety of color and different types of flower as well, because I really look at detail. I'm really picky, guys, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'll not get one from the petrol station then. No, and just, no, and I just don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something like um, with honeysuckle... Mm-hmm. Jasmine, couple of roses, but not just red, um, pink, white, yellow. I like the yellow roses. A bit of lavender and some grasses as well. Yeah, we should remember this for next time. I think you personally deserve a bunch of Canadians. You can look that up if you read the magazine and the article, and then you can see what I mean by giving Lorella those flowers. So I'm being sneaky there. Well, Lorella, thank you so much for talking to us about the language of flowers. It's really appreciated. Um, and I shall, uh, well, I always do take care of the flowers I give, but now I know what they mean. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you, Lorella. That was fantastic. I find that all very fascinating. And it's always a good dating romance thing to actually go, this is what they mean. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Why are you giving me this bunch of, uh, well, darling? <laughs> yes, yes. It has this significance. Yeah. That's exactly. So that's great. I really enjoyed that. Good. And we'll be hearing more of Lorella later in the month as she's mm-hmm. uh, reviewing an opera for us, I believe, this time. Oh, lovely. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, and she's going to write a few more pieces over the course of the next few months with us. So very brilliant, happy to have her brilliant. It'd be good to see those in the magazine. Born in the backshop of a Colombian leather craftsman, matured on the Pan American Highway, perfected on a pub's damp table in Savile Row, Monsieur London is the result of travel. It led its two creators from Anchorage to Ashaya on the nineteen thousand mile long journey. They ended up in London to settle the project born from a choice to lead a lifestyle with higher standards and expectations, a brand for the 21st century cosmopolitan man. As a result of this approach, the online retail shop MonsieurLondon.com was launched in October 2012. Since then, they have met many pop-up shops in Paris and London and opened with business partners La Gassonniere, a 250 square meters men lifestyle concept store in Paris. Their brand offers elegant accessories made with traditional know-how for a fair price. They make their customers pay for the quality, not for the branding and marketing. Their French, Italian and English workshops fabricate outstanding products, created with their sense of traditional know-how and their passion for style. These accessories reflect the technical excellence of their makers. They offer bespoke options on many of their products, including gloves, bags and belts. Check them out at MissYourLondon.com. James, we get to talk about something now which both you and I have a passion for. Indeed we do. We try very hard not to talk about it ad nauseum with lots of other people. But now (laughs) we get a special window to talk about it. To you guys, it is the wonderful world of cigars. How did you first get into cigars, James? Growing up, a lot of my family smoked cigarettes and pipes. And I did as a younger man. And I gave that up about 11 
11 years ago now, which was hard, but doable. And anyone out there who does smoke cigarettes, do give them up. They're really not great. It was while I was giving up, it was a suggestion from a from a doctor that at the times that the cravings got really bad, have a cigar rather than a cigarette. There are still health concerns with cigars, obviously, and, and that's for people to be aware of. But it went from, from having that, that occasional puff on a cigar to manage the cigarette smoking to actually being something that I enjoyed and started to do more often. But maybe one a week, one every couple of weeks, depending on on where I am in the world and what facilities are available. An occasional hobby that I very much enjoy. How about you, Zach? How did you get started? Weirdly, none of my family except my grandfather smoked. Mm. And my grandfather chain-smoked cigars. Right, okay. Um, He would smoke eight or nine cigars a day, every day. okay. And that scent of cigars really Mm -hmm. permeated him. Mm-hmm. It was part of his character. He smoked everywhere he could. Yeah. <laughs> I always loved that smell. I smoked cigarettes to be cool as a teenager for literally probably about two years. I didn't smoke them for any other reason than to be cool. I didn't enjoy it particularly very much at all. Good. Uh, and it gave up quite quickly. The cigar thing always intrigued me, and I ended up flat-sitting for my grandfather. I nicked one of his cigars. I think it was about 19. Yep. And I uh, lit it up, and I smoked it, and coughed a bit and realized that you're not supposed to inhale and really enjoyed it i enjoyed the experience i enjoyed Mm -hmm. the taste i enjoyed the whole ritual and flavor and all that sort of thing and that was that when my grandfather came back he used to buy a boxes of cheap cigars well if you're smoking that many you'd need to and then he had a humidor for his higher valued cigars sure i smoked one of the higher valued ones (laughs) because i was a cheeky teenager and uh, he came back and he said he smoked one of my cigars i went uh yes yes i don't mind next time smoke the crap (laughs) (laughs) well funny enough that reminds me of quite a fun thing at jj fox's in london which was churchill's cigar merch of choice and they have in their in their smoking lounge upstairs a copy of, of a letter that Churchill had sent to them saying could you please send my nephew a box of cigars of reasonable quality but not as good as these ones that I like <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of Churchill all over quality in cigars is is important because there's such a big variety especially now I mean when when I first started smoking cigars 25 years ago there was not that much breadth of range of cigar now there's hundreds of different brands and types and Cubans and non-Cubans and you know what they refer to as New World cigars. It's it's quite a plethora, and the quality is you know everything from hand-rolled what I call proper cigars to machine-made cigars. The, the breadth is is phenomenal. Now. Absolutely. If someone's interested in cigars and wants to learn to learn more, what's the best way to do it? Well, if you're interested and you've never smoked a cigar before, I would suggest you find a cigar store to go to first. Most cigar stores, especially places where you can smoke indoors, uh, there are a few um, around the UK and around America and around the world um, where you will find generally a very helpful and very informative person running the the store and they will guide you through you know choosing a cigar and i would suggest a smaller mm-hmm. milder cigar to start with yes absolutely probably a, a non-cuban just because it is easier and generally milder on the palate than a cuban cigar to start with just engage with the cigar in a, in a gentle manner don't jump in and go for the heaviest cigar and the heaviest ring gauge uh, at uh, the beginnings like jumping in and drinking a bottle of Chateau Margaux is your first wine out. Your expectations have become very high after that. <laughs> they do. They do. They <laughs> and, do. And your palate is not kind of adjusted to it, so you probably won't appreciate it as much as you would do if you just sort of eased your way in. And I think added to that, one of the advantages 
I think of going to a cigar lounge or a, or, or a shop of the smoking room or a club is that you'll have the opportunity to sit and savour the cigar. Before clubs were common in the UK, I used to buy my cigars from the merchant on Victoria Street in London. A great little shop, but it is just a, a small hole-in-the-wall shop. And so I would generally smoke mine wandering around Westminster or I'd go over to, to the park and smoke it there, which was lovely in the summer, not so much fun any other time. Whereas if you find a nice cigar bar or lounge like i use now the cuban cigar lounge in newcastle quite a lot you can sit and relax and sample a cigar enjoy it think about if you want to buy more but you can do it in a nice relaxed casual setting and generally cigars and cigar smoking is for me at least a very social activity it's something that that kind of lubricates good conversation when you get a a good club that has a regular crowd you build that conversation with them over time oh absolutely i mean for me cigars as you say are a social thing i do smoke cigars on my own but i actually prefer smoking with people yes there is nothing better than sitting around and smoking a cigar and and putting the world to rights yes whatever you whatever tipple you uh, choose to drink with it yes that is the great thing about cigars they are a talking point mm. they're a great conversation and the lovely thing about cigars is you have to take time with yes them. this is not a cigarette of puff 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 from three minutes outside and you run back inside again even the shortest cigar is going to take you 25 minutes and a large cigar you could easily spend an hour or more on some of the bigger cigars two yes. hours yep. on so this is not something that you can consume rapidly Mm -hmm. it is about taking time and therefore you know requires a little bit of mental time a little time to think but also sometimes time to talk that's one of the things that i most enjoy you know doing the work that i do i travel a lot i spend a lot of time talking business and in with clients doesn't always leave time to sit and have a good conversation and by the time you've been to the gym and done your stuff there and you've sorted out things at home you know that time just to sit and relax and have a have a natter about the thorny issues of the day i really enjoy no absolutely i hear banging in the background james are you building a humidor in the background (laughs) i apologize for that we had a flood at home a little while ago to fix it i had to cut up part of the floor and the and one of the walls so the guys have come to repair that oh well that's fine i uh, just thought you were building a humidor no sadly (laughs) sadly i have a small travel humidor that sits in my in my desk drawer don't have the space to have a a full-on cabinet that i would like (laughs) so um just to give you a a rough guide to cigars just to give you a couple of couple of top tips cigars basically are measured in length and ring gauge which is the width the girth of the cigar um and it the length is in inch, inches, generally. The ring gauge is in a strange dimension. It is given a number, so 50, 56, 46. And I can't remember. It's like, I think it's eighths of an inch, if I remember correctly. I think you're right. So the larger the number of the ring gauge, the wider the girth of the cigar. Yes. Generally, most Cuban cigars tend to stop at the 50 ring gauge. Mm-hmm. There's a few bigger ones in the 56 side. Length generally up to about six and a half, seven inches is kind of the longest for Cubans. And then what are non-Cubans, basically cigars that are made outside of Cuba, which can be Nicaragua, Jamaica, Honduras. Mm-hmm. But um, Cuban cigars are kind of like champagne in the uh, sparkling wine thing. They have a product of origin kind of uh, mystique, but also they're generally considered to be the best yes. of brand, as it were. I know there are people who will disagree with that. I know I have friends in the in the US where Cuban cigars are not as easily found. They talk very well about Nicaraguan cigars and, and others. And I've had some great ones from there. I actually had some great Nicaraguan cigars when I was in India a little while ago where ITC, the Indian Tobacco Company, 
produce their own line of cigars and have them in their hotels. But for me, all of the really great cigars I've smoked have been Cuban. And and for me too. I have smoked non-Cubans at various points uh, and times and been in the States quite a bit, so smoked a lot of non-Cubans there. But Cubans are kind of the benchmark by which all others are measured, I think is the phrase. Yes, I think that's that's fair to say. But as we said earlier, you don't inhale a cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of let it waft around your palate and then exhale. Yes. You cut a cigar, you cut the end, the mm-hmm. capped end of a cigar, and then you light from the other end. Sure. Lighting and cutting is a kind of an interesting process. Everyone has their own little foibles they and uh, uh, ways of doing things. But the one thing that you should always remember is you should never light your cigar with a petrol lighter. It will flavour the cigar. Yes. It will ruin the flavour of a cigar. So it's either uh, a butane, a gas-based mm-hmm. A flame, or preferably generally a match. Often when you buy cigars, especially if you buy by the box or if you go to a cigar lounge, you'll find that there's a little strip of cedar or a little sheet that sits in the top of the cigar box, which is there to regulate the humidity in the box and, and help care for the cigar. And often people will split these up and turn them into little tapers that you can then use to light your cigar. And if you go to a cigar club, often you'll find these in a glass somewhere just on a table, a load of these strips. And they're perfect for lighting a cigar. Yes, they are. I must admit, I generally use a butane lighter just because it's easy and convenient. Getting a cigar lit and, and going properly is all part of the ritual and using the cedars a big part of that there's a lot more in the uh, article in the magazine about cigars and introduction to cigars but if you want to know more you can always ask us drop us a note on any of our social media or email channels but also our previous colleague at the perfect gentleman uh, mr nick wing writes a pretty damn good uh, cigar magazine it's fantastic it really is it's called uk cigar scene you can google that and find that and he does a couple of really interesting videos and he actually even runs some cigar training so you can actually get trained on what a cigar are right from tobacco leaves and all that sort of stuff which is really lovely it's much more in depth than we can do here but it's well worth the price of admission and you get to smoke a cigar with nick which is always a pleasure he's a charming guy to spend time with so um uh, we won't waffle on about cigars too much we'll in fact might go and smoke one while we listen to paul ernst dear gentlemen are you ready for the summer season Here at PG Switzerland, we celebrate with our first rum and cigar pairing event together with Bernard Ricard and actively arranging our second event. During the rum and cigar pairing, our gentlemen experienced a range of the Havana Club rums, paired with specially selected Cuban cigars. Our ambassador from Bernard Ricard was present to share his knowledge related to the rums, which was extremely interesting and an eye-opener for our group of gentlemen. For those who could not attend our first event, the next one will be on June 9th at the Puros Imas Lounge in Basel. This time will bring to you a unique gin tasting experience. I look forward to meeting some of you then. In the meantime, keep in touch on our Facebook page and stay tuned for more exciting news next month. Yours sincerely, Paul First Swiss Gentleman. Our wonderful partners, the Cravat Club, provide luxury silk cravats, scarves and pocket squares. Designed and handcrafted in England. So complement your style with a touch of sartorial elegance with these 100% silk cravats, scarves and pocket squares, which are an ideal addition to evening or day wear for a sharp and refined look for the distinguished gentleman. Head on over to their website, www.cravat.com. Dot com to grab yours now.
Thank you, Paul. That's great. A lovely report from Switzerland. I look forward to seeing you in the near future, Paul. So uh, that's it. Wraps up the episode. That was nice and quick, but we covered quite a bit there, I think. I think we did. And it was lovely having a Lorella on board. Always a treat to talk to her. And don't do the uh, petrol station flowers. <laughs> no, don't do it. Just no. don't do no. it. No. If, you, if you're feeling that guilty about something, find something else to purchase. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because petrol fl- station flowers are so obvious. It's It's... They are, they are. So uh, thank you very much. It's mm-hmm. lovely to speak to you, James. And you. We're uh, trundling onwards mm-hmm. um, for the rest of the month. And uh, next month we got uh, Rory, actually. I think Excellent. Oh, that'd be good. Next week, sorry. Next, not next month, next week. Gosh. Look forward to speaking to you then, James. Indeed. Take care, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nickel at the Pistachio Palace.